Welcome back to the Broken Poets Yobcast for March 13th, 2023. Featuring poet Ramya Ramana leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I'm your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held at our new space in 144 Montague Street in Brooklyn Heights. For more information and to sign up for the op, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Alexis Dibbs, Serena Oduro, Hendry Millward, Elia Osmanova, Bo Frail, Sky Jackson, Ann Herendine, Jim Stewart, Hunter Hodkinson, Mark Weissman, Michael Cohen, Ashley Frankel, Megan Gwilt, Carly Ransford, Sarah Lynn Rogers, Arthur Russell, Enciataj, Akiva, and Charlie. Alright, let's get right to the action. The Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Mic for March 2023. Enjoy. Okay, folks, we are going to get started again with the open mic. I appreciate that, table three. Thank you for the applause. I just want to give a shout-out to table three for creating T-shirts for this yop. You guys want to stand up in your blue and green T-shirts? So uh, the gauntlet has been thrown. Table three now has t-shirts, so uh, if, if the rest of the tables want to form some independent communities and uh, put your minds and money together to make your own t-shirts, you could do that. Uh, we are on to the open mic portion of the yop. I am Jason Koo, if you don't know who I am. Shout out to all the people on the back who are so devoted to poetry. They are sitting on the floor. I've never seen that many poets sitting on the floor. Let's give them a round of applause. As someone who's dealing with a lot of back pain these days, I I know it can't be easy to be sitting on the floor to write poetry, but I think most of you are a lot younger than me, so you've got years years of back pain ahead of you, so get in, get in the sitting on the floor while you can, (laughs) while it doesn't hurt. Uh, If you haven't been to the yacht before, there's a few guidelines for how the open mic goes if you read the guidelines on our website hopefully you did i know that not everyone reads our website because we answer a lot of questions but uh you get one poem of three minutes max uh at the yop open mic if you are on the list tonight we hopefully will get to at least one or two poets off the wait list which we try to every month we also uh vote for poem of the month at every yop uh this is why you get one poem because then we can vote on those one poems if you read like five poems it'd be very difficult uh the number in the back you see it on the chalkboard because jess wrote it there seven one eight three seven four one everyone in the front room is looking at the back i guarantee you can't see the chalkboard from the front of the room (laughs) but i love that you turned (laughs) to look back there the number to vote is 718-374-1953. Uh, I'll repeat that throughout the night. That's also the Brooklyn Poets phone number. So if you forget, you can just Google Brooklyn Poets and <laughs> you'll see the number. 
1953. I ask that you wait until the end of the evening to vote. Just uh, text me the poet's name as best you can spell it based on your memory of them. Some people take detailed notes on the open mic. I know Jess does. Uh, you might be one of those people. You would like you take the vote. Some people take the vote very seriously. So if you want to take the vote seriously, take some notes. Please, by all means, do that. Note down the poets that you like. Uh, we'll go back over the names at the end of the night, but again, to vote, 718-374-1953. A reminder, only the people present in this room or on the Zoom can vote for Poem of the Month. Do not text your friends and tell you to vote for them, because like I said last time, it is very obvious when I suddenly get 10 to 15 messages all at the same time for the same person, and I'm just, I'm just like, this is very suspicious. So I throw those votes out. I don't even care. <laughs> I just don't because it, that's not usually how it goes. Uh, the vote is usually more organic than that. I don't see 15 votes all in the same minute. Um, and the last thing is we record the Yop Open Mic as a podcast every month. It's called the Yop Cast. usually comes out a couple weeks after uh, the Yop happens. It's a monthly podcast that you can definitely subscribe to and uh, definitely also rate us five stars. That'd be great. Uh, and the people that it primarily benefits is not even us. It benefits the poets who read for the open mic. So if you read for the open mic, uh, it behooves you to not only subscribe, but to rate us five stars because more people will find the podcast and find your poems. Okay, uh, that is all I've got. Uh, I'm going to say... Uh, on deck, our second poet is Serena Oduro, but our first poet of the evening, very brave to go first, Alexis Dibbs. Give it up for Alexis. Sorry, Alexis, you're gonna have to sit back down. I just did it again, man. I'm really, I'm really slipping. I'm getting old. This is the second time I've done this. Thank you, thank you, Arthur Russell, table number three. We're not even on to the open mic yet because I almost forgot our featured reader who goes first, who is so calm and polite. She's probably like, what the fuck is going on, Jason? <laughs> our first reader of the evening is the one and only Ramya Ramana. Give it up for Ramya. Um, hello. It's been a while. Um, this first poem is cold. Yeah, it always sucks, because you know I'm not a comedian, so when I make jokes, like nobody laughs, and I'm like, okay, what do I do next? <laughs> um, okay, so this first poem is called Amma Says. Um, Amma says, we have found an alignment for you. Someone may be your suitor. This is how we do things in our village, you know. You must never stray from your culture, Ramu. <clears throat> In 2029, I wake up next to a stranger. The word husband for me is like paprika. It adds color. My wedding beads sag me into the morning. My paper-thin lined voice clustered with clusters with cracks. In the kitchen, I find myself tugging at the yellow lining inside the egg until it falls apart. I watch it fall apart like display art. I watch the stranger head off to work. I stay home because I can, or because I should, my new altar. There, a statue gushes with cement. Inside the statue is a mourning, the lump gullied into the chest, the ground bedding itself to my angry, the screaming, a creak, the haunting of the floor, cream walls, 
flaky palms, chandelier looming over like a tarantula. The floor paces my feet, the sound padding the air. Ma, do you know why I'm here? What hoards my mind is not the blank air, but the space between me and my stranger as we rubberly slide into each other, when our rhythm keeps us at scratching like a dry throat. My stranger and I table across each other with the sambar bubbling up as our noise. My mother whispered to me that I should eat, so I ate even though I was stuffed, and again I am stuffed, my bloat carving a balloon into me, the leftovers of our silence spoiling out of my mouth. On Facebook, all the aunties wish us a happy 10th anniversary. My stranger buys me 10 balloons to fill the air. I cook my stranger's favorite curry from my flaky palms, sealing it with the finest paprika. Um, and then I have a second poem. Um, not, this is called 1945, then 1971, then 1993, then 1995, then 2018. Um, so you can guess which year I was born in. <laughs> um, <clears throat> when Ma makes the fifth dish for the day's first meal, I wonder where her hands romance to, who it calls home outside of its role as a wageless worker. Don't we all need community? Even God lives inside of a trinity. The tenderness of her wrist crying out for her friend, her mind a distant clock. I say I have lived alone and an award appears at my front door, a gift clothed in tendons. In the chest of the tendons there is a woman before me who is brown enough, and inside her another, both unwanted and rummaging through all her sense of self to beget the forest sap, the luggage of the earth, stickiness hoarding her fingers. You can't wash this away with water, this tin canned juice of survival. My fingers are an anthem to colonization. I find even the sloppiest palms red, white, and blue, can you find me a home somewhere greener than this blue? I want to find the woods again and the ice cream man who's been coming around here since we were six, the routine smile of his immigrant. I know much like me, he'd like to forget where he comes from. I know much like me, he'd want the dirt of our fingernails to find it. So I lick my wounds and the metal aftertaste lives in my mouth. The hungry blood distills everything I speak. The move to Long Island, the mothers whose hands, whose hands were, have always been sacrificed with bloodshed and saliva, the rosewood sofas, the chewed nails, the coarse hands that fed me, the baby's fingers wrapped around mine, her instinct to name me protector, the trees ready to fall off and into someone's arms, the blood foaming of the path, the lemur that martyred into the gory tree, left a piece of itself in my arms, a spray-painted silver lining, and the sweet sap that I will give my daughter's daughters through blue silk ribbons. Then she will know the fingers are righteous, the vial has been uncloaked before and again. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. I'm glad we didn't miss that uh, through my own idiocy. <laughs> Uh, 
that last poem you can find uh, uh, on the Broken Poets website as a Poet of the Week feature. Rami was the Poet of the Week last week. Last week, right? Yes, last week. Uh, yeah, give her a round of applause for that. It's a, it's a great achievement. Uh, I just want to say that phrase in your first poem, rubberly, was that, was that the ad adverb, rubberly sliding into each other or something like that? That's great. Like, what does that mean? But it sounds so eerie. <laughs> like, rubberly slide into each other. Uh, just, like, change the way I thought of things. Um, so that was our feature reader. That's why she read two poems. You might have been like, why is she reading two poems? Uh, every now and then somebody asks that question. But now we're on to the open mic. <laughs> the open mic proper, where you get one poem. And this is where the voting begins. You can vote for Rami if you want. That would be nice, but the vote won't count. Uh, I'm sure she'd appreciate it, though. Uh, our next poet, who I already introduced, the first poet of the open mic, Alexis Dibbs. Give it up for Alexis. Um, I, today I'll be reading um, a prose about unrequited love. The grass is always greener when I'm dreaming, and I'm dreaming that in a parallel universe we're getting chicken over rice from the halal cart to eat on your living room floor at a quarter past three, a universe where tomorrow there's absolutely nothing on the itinerary. Just lying in bed, no phones in our hands, let's plan the day around us doing absolutely nothing but let's watch the sun rise. As we rise high over the horizon, figuring out the time, dusk turns to dawn without our devices. My eyes still glisten to the artifacts of us that float to the surface while you're still searching for the shadows at the bottom of the ocean. I think you're only in love with me because I love you so deeply. We're all sea creatures with egos bigger than the few extra minutes our parents didn't give us to make us feel secure. So make me feel secure. Take me to see your favorite band. Let's listen to the songs playing on repeat in my head, go on dates that never end, celebrate me always. Because every day I'm here tomorrow is not a day I planned for yesterday. Treat me like you're scared to lose me because I am. I'm scared to lose myself in the depths of loving you always because always is all I know how to love. I take blame for loving others for how they are friends and not how they are partners because I want to fall in love with my best friend. So I grasp onto the context clues out of context, hoping the clues will lead us to the context of friends before lovers, but they hardly ever do. So I stand falling in love with New York City nights that never end with a friend who I know aren't going anywhere until dawn. And when they eventually go home to their partners, I'll watch your plans from a distance, romanticizing your presence through the pictures, calling to see if you got home okay. I want to be there with you. Rather, I want you to want me to be there with you. Why don't you want me there too? I too am going home, but not to you because staying the night means waking up disappointed that you haven't found home in my presence, still searching for something in the distance when I'm right here, here searching for someone who helps me dream by helping you help me paint the grass green. Thank you. All right, what a way to begin.
sweet, melancholy love poem. I love it. Uh, all right, thank you. Our next poet is Serena Oduro. Give it up for Serena. Y'all hear me well? Okay. I'm Serena, and this poem is called Original Snake. I am original snake, carrier, future ancestor, now. And scales pierce through my skin like the soprano song on Sundays. Holy, giving rise to birth, slaying sin, I'm not the reason for it. Slithering from the basin, leaves crescendo below my belly. Animals watching me dance uncontrollably. Shake like they have met Christ. Shake like the piano keys will resurrect every word slavery will cut from tongues. Cut, cut from my tongue. In tree class, I repeat, et a saint, aye, no won sway. And all I can taste is salt. And all I can feel is a mental sway like ships sailing further away, mocking me. But violence's hands cannot cut Oduro out of me completely. While in chaos's shadow, I perform snake dances routinely with blood and sun and feet. Instinctively, I know my origin story. I am carrier, original snake, future ancestor, now, and you rest inside me like a petal nestling beside its siblings. You rest in pieces I try to put you together through Hennessy backstories after chitlins are devoured Every time another auntie tells me you are just, like him, your soon soon rests within me. Born between snakes and infinity, I am one more vessel closer to resurrection, and your hands rest upon my shoulder. Together we stare into the future's emptiness and fall, jump over freely. Freedom and future kin beckon us. I am future ancestor, original snake, carrier, now, and oranges and reds spill over the sky like a scene from Revelations. They lay their dreaded hair against the sands and listen to the sound of bass and giggles pulsate over the drunken dusk. Coos from sunken loved ones lull their eyes to sleep. Canvases of pigments' dance fills their mind. They think they paint the sunset but it's a blood-soaked sky of their peoples, other peoples, many peoples battle with the Leviathan. Black poets, trumpets, called for us to avenge the years separated from the basin. Despite the fated chance for Malcolm, the sun came. It settled into the sky like a petal nestled beside its siblings. They say, et saint, aye, no won sway, and no ship haunts them. Now, we, as in all of me, as in all of us, as in grandfather and the giants behind him, lay within their stomach, rise with the filling of their young belly, and we praise the cessation of our session with shade. I am now original snake, carrier, future ancestor, and hisses and church bells guide my feet. Enjoying the soprano song of sun's promise, I sleep with a slither of the peace that lies in them. Enjoying the soprano song of sun's promise, I touch my belly and enjoy the presence of you. Revel in my living. Enjoying the soprano song of sun's promise, I praise my many roles. 
carrier, future ancestor, original snake, all time within, late before, and unknown. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Beautiful poem, Serena. It's your first time here, yes? All right, give her a round of applause. A Yop debut, I love it. On deck is Elia Osmanova. Our next poet, is it Hendrik or Hendry? Hen Hendry? Give it up for Hendry Millward. My name's uh, Henry Millward. Um, this is a, a prose, a series of prose poems I've been working on um, called the Snevitz Stories. And so this is the second story. Snevitz went out around the house. We followed close, but not conspicuous. He was looking for a window, no doubt, something to make it into the house by. Make it into by. Pay attention to the phrase. Snevitz was wicked with phrases. My team came around the corner in time to see his feet disappearing into the house. I said, watch out. This is not like Snevitz. Something must be up. At least we know he's in the house. Spread out, circle the place. You know the signal if he tries to break our perimeter. No mistakes on this one. We might not get this chance again. We waited for a long time. Snevitz was going to make it hurt. Dark came. I was circling the perimeter, checking endurance. It was failing. Desperate, I snuck onto the porch. The house was lit inside, nobody in the front room. I decided to scale the porch to look into the second story of windows. I'm old and tired. I swore at Snevitz under my breath. His name was perfect to curse, and its language took over, making it hard to climb. Looking in the second story window, I saw Snevitz standing over a desk in a study. Under him was a small girl, no more than 13, writing. I saw Snevitz's mouth move. He was dictating to her. The pencil looked enormous in her small hand. How long could they keep this up? We'd been waiting for five hours. What were they writing? Neither of them looked tired. Snevitz, Snevitz hadn't even loosened his tie. He spoke slowly and was spelling some of the words. I could see him mouth them a letter at a time. Knowing Snevitz, this could go on a while. I was going to have to relieve the men. Thank you all. All right, thank you. Is it Henry or Hendry? Henry. Henry, okay. Yop debut, yes, first time here. Give Hendry another round of applause. All right. On deck is Beau Frail, our next reader is Elia Osmanova. Give it up for Elia. Every time I come here and I decide I'll read a poem and then I change my mind. I'm revisiting older poems and um, it's just interesting how I feel now versus I felt when I wrote them. Are you married, she asked. 
The shakiness buried my body, disgust covered her eyes. She's not a virgin, yet she's not married, she murmured. As my legs stayed spread apart, my mind left me. Disgust and shame perhaps aren't so different, I thought. Perhaps part of my body that I gave into making love but felt no pleasure could have waited until a man could own me or I was given to him. Buying a woman or being given to a man is not a poetry but an unfortunate reality of my mother tongue. Funny how language works indeed. The colors that shape our eyes, the bodies that drool our taste in our mouths, among the gazes of men that cannot hold their skins inside their mouths. What is being a woman? Flashing you back to the summer of 2013. A beautiful sunshine reflecting on my sheer light purple fabric, landing so delicately on my tanned flesh. My long skirt sweeping the streets of my beloved city, my long hair singing with the summer breeze, and my eyes avoiding the consistent aroused gazes of men. Yet, how are they inside me already You know, when I don't remember my skin saying yes? Taking every step as fast as I could so I could match the beat of my heart as I saw their shadows slowly entering me. I learned on that summer day that I cannot always be on the same beat as my heart. Sometimes it beats me. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Elia. Beautiful work, as always. The Cubs fan is leaving. Oh, no, you're the next poet, I guess. <laughs> I was going to say, bye. I'm from Cleveland. Thanks for beating us in 2016. Great. See you. But I guess I'm going to invite you up here. Give it up for Bo Frail. I really don't watch baseball. This is just my grandpa's. Um, <laughs> but speaking of uh, that, uh, I'm going to share a poem about my uh, grandparents' old dog who always got to see. Her name was Peaches. Okay. We drive slowly down the bumpy gravel roads as I desperately call out, Peaches, Peaches, where are you, Peaches? My grandpa steadily guides us with one hand on the steering wheel as he, sorry, I'm gonna read it so I don't mess it up. My grandpa guides us steadily with one hand on the wheel of the blue Oldsmobile while he nibbles on his cherry cigar and harmonizes his deep bellow with my high-pitched yell, Peaches! Peaches! Come home, Peaches! I wonder if this is what love feels like, calling out into the vast darkness, yearning for someone to come back home. The next morning, we head towards the town to pin up a lost dog ad at the post office. Grandpa loves telling us how he originally found Peaches, on the side of the road, he thought it was a box of peaches because of the orange tones in his coat. Um, and then he also mistook her for a him, which we realized after she gave birth to eight fluffy puppies one summer. Grandpa's stories were always filled with legend and myth, weaving tales with laughter and flair and always ready to ask you if, if you knew why one line of geese flying and a V in the sky was shorter than the other. 
because there's less geese in that side. <laughs> or where the Lone Ranger takes his trash to the dump, to the dump, to the dump, dump, dump. Older people might get that one from the Lone Ranger, but following a tip from the friendly postal worker, we drive the next day to a nearby farm where a kind couple had taken peaches in after she showed up on July 4th, frightened from our neighbor's fireworks. They give us a big bag of dog food, which they had bought for her, and marvel at the miles between our farms that Peaches had traveled. Then we bounce back into the Oldsmobile, and I hug Peaches extra tight on our drive back home while I think, surely, this is what love feels like. Okay, beautiful poem, Peaches. There's less geese on one side. Never thought of that. <laughs> uh, our next three poets after the next poet are Anne Herondine, Jim Stewart, and Hunter Hodkinson. I think they're all at table three, or at least most of them are. But our next poet is Sky Jackson. Give it up for Sky. Um, this is my first time ever reading here. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited. Um, so just some context for this poem. Has anyone seen Hadestown? Yeah. Okay. So I wrote this poem after I went to see Hadestown. And when I went to see this, when I went to see the musical, um, there was a black actress who was playing Persephone at the time. And when I went to the bathroom during the intermission, one of the girls in the bathroom line asked me if I was cosplaying as Persephone. And I was like, no, 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 my dude, but okay. So this poem is called, When the White Girl in the Bathroom at Hadestown Asked if I'm cosplaying as Persephone. I smile graciously and say, I am not, but drenched in her purple mink with green eyes and bathroom dyed red hair, she'll never know that I too have raised a cup to my lips in hell, not knowing if it was filled with wine or blood and drank anyway. I too have kept death's empty bed warm, lit a candle dying on his nightstand. In fact, I have loved so many different deaths, in doorways, in churches, at the breath of my father's wrath. I have left my mother crying for darker men and moods and ways as the flowers began to turn. I have prayed to see a son I long since abandoned, cast my eyes down as fair Eurydice polished our endless rooms of silver with her strawberry hair and laughed at the quiet reproach of the night still. Yeah. 
right, keep it going for Sky Jackson. The op debut. Fantastic work. Uh, God, what a voice. You can just, I don't know, you can just come here and not read a poem next time. Just read anything. It'll probably sound really good. <laughs> but that poem was amazing. Um, and your, your long sleeve Basquiat sweatshirt, is it a sweatshirt or a t-shirt? It's also amazing. Um, I kind of want to steal it, so if you take it off in the next hour, <laughs> someone let me know. You know, we were going to have Basquiat on these walls, but the, the photo I got was so... Some of my staff are probably wondering, why is there like a poster of Basquiat just like sitting on the desk for months? Because it was like very big, and I thought it was small, so that's why jean Michel's then on these, these walls, because he was a poet too painter and a poet, and he uh, lived in Brooklyn, and he's buried at Greenwood, as some of you probably know. It, it takes a long time to find his grave, though, because his grave is much smaller than all of the wealthy fo white folks that live there. Live, I just said that live there, that are dead there. <laughs> um, anyway, wow, that live there. Our next poet is Anne Herondine. Give it up for Anne. first line title. I remember when we ruined gay. I remember when we ruined gay, when you couldn't sing the old carol anymore. Don we now our homosexual apparel. <laughs> and I remember when fort, from French, meant it was your strong point, while forte, from Italian, meant you should sing it loud, loud and proud. We're here, we're queer, get used to it. They did get used to it, some of them to some of it. <laughs> now they hate pronouns and the singular they because we should all go on saying he or she, no other options, it's just biology. I remember when they wouldn't use Ms. Because how could you not know whether a woman was married or not when she was mentioned in the news? Which a lady would not be, except when she was born and was married, when she changed from Miss to Mrs., which is short for mistress, but which the full word means not the wife, but the bitch, cunt, whore, I mean, the other woman, the husband, who is always mister once he is over the age of 12 or so, when he used to be master, and let's not go there, please, is having sex with. And when she dies, the lady who should not be Ms. Now nobody cares about that, because now we can't say gay again. All right, I see you, table three. Table three definitely has a thing. 
my que- my question is how they all sit together. It's always packed here. Do you all arrive at six together too? <laughs> or do you just move bodies when you get here? <laughs> really? <laughs> First I was like, who is Megan? <laughs> I was like, oh, they mean Megan at the desk. Okay, well, uh, the next poet is, I think, at table four. Uh, but give him a warm round of applause. Jim Stewart. When I say I know the streets of this city, you will inevitably misunderstand, as those who say that usually mean the sidewalks, and I have awoken in a hospital right side of my face, purple chin to brow, but that was from a fist, and any assault, however random, must have intention. The bumpers I swerve between Double-parked obstacles like drop toys are more effortlessly brutal. To them, we sacrifice our children and elders, any body on two feet, two wheels, naked of a shell of steel and tempered glass, without a thought, without guilt, our rituals of preemptive forgiveness in yellow hazard lights, in the silent armor of our chassis, the beat from a serious XM sound bath. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Jim. I enjoyed how that ended. On deck is Mark Weissman. Our next poet is another member of table number three. Give it up for Hunter Hopkinson. Hi, everyone. Uh, Thank you all for being here tonight. Uh, I had surgery on Wednesday. It was a rough week, but, you know, this gives me life. So you all give me life, so thank you. So this poem is called uh, Something He Can Never Have. I shop for the inner me, the me who didn't spend his summers gaming five years straight, the me who didn't turn to food to cope with rejection, who wasn't born with an odd phobia to anything not chicken nugget textured. That hunter is stylish as fuck. (laughs) Savvy and honestly just downright cool. Gaunt, thrifty, and bushwicky. (laughs) He's the one approached by TikTokers asking about his outfit which he replies, thrifted, thrifted, Gucci, thrifted Prada, thrifted, Uniqlo. Uh, Yeah, that hunter doesn't cry over another pair of jeans eviscerated by his thighs. He doesn't pull his shirt down a thousand times because he is beautiful and he's what you imagine when you hear poets 
and he drinks black coffee and gets herpes, but somehow makes it quirky. <laughs> and he smokes cigarettes, but never gets sick. And he has a big dick. And he's androgynous. And he's your perfect he-they. And he's a Hell's Kitchen gay who doesn't get dirty looks simply by existing, even though we're all in this together, but fuck it, I guess. And he can tuck in his shirts, and he can go swimming, and he's okay with sweating, and he can take up space. And he can, he can, he can, and he has that, and he has this, but there's one thing he doesn't have, one thing he can never, ever have, this poem. I just want to say Hunter is, uh, He's at table three, but he's also a Brooklyn Poets intern. So uh, I'm just going to say there's like a, a different group he's a part of, too, that there are also many more shirts for. <laughs> just saying. We had Hunter first. <laughs> even, though, even though no one has that poem. Man, what a great last line. And... Uh, well done, rhyming herpes with quirky. <laughs> I, will, I will never forget that. <laughs> uh, never, anytime anyone mentions herpes again, I'm just going to think, oh, how quirky that is. <laughs> Which is probably a good thing. <laughs> uh, our next poet is Mark Weisman. Give it up for Mark. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, yes, I'm Mark Weissman. Um, so I'm going to read a poem called Two Hard Things. And um, there's a quote I'm going to read from Lewis Hyde, The Gift. I don't know if anyone's read this book. If, um, if you haven't, and if you'd like to, um, you can borrow it from me for the next couple of months. Uh, it was, it was uh, given to me by a really cool artist. His name is Nick Rad. It, that's his name. And um, it's his painting here, so I'll, I'll trust that you'll give it back. But um, <laughs> anyway, um, there's a little, uh, because of some kids that I know are watching, there's a little language here, but um, it's all good, you know? Um, so the quote is, when I speak of labor, I intend to refer to something dictated by the course of life rather than by society, something more bound up with feeling, more interior than work. So that's the quote by Lewis Hyde. And let's roll. Two hard things are cleaning your room and doing your homework. How many in a day may I ask of you, child? I try to assign upper limits for myself Yet never any hard and fast rules. It's about mental health, you see, a safe space for effort. Once you've hung up your unicorn hat, get to it to get through it. Some things come naturally to some, the pits to others, like sweeping up eggshells of your Hatchimals or the shards across the kitchen. I try to serve ice cream after your bathroom flooded, but was no good at it, nor at shutting the valve. 
or on Kristallnacht or from Iceberg A68A, it's how you'll feel when it's done, your conscience rehydrated and ancestors grinning. Am I too hard on you, given how I've been told off, my fucking attitude or inaction, though none of it acts of intention? Though, sweetheart, that too won't matter. And knowing you and me so well, equally unbuilt for toil, we fancy. It's so unfair to humanity, really, who unwishes undopamine moments like now as I write a poem instead of watering the plants. We're caught between a rock and a hard place, little darling. Work and labor, says Hyde. The labor is yours. The gift received. The gift regifted. How lush with grace are chores. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Mark. Uh, I like that last line. And it made me think, do people still do chores? I mean, like, do you call them chores? Like, do you think of them as, you do? Some of them, you're just like, yeah, what the fuck are you talking about? You're like, yes. <laughs> because uh, I don't, I don't call, I don't think of them as chores. I'm like, I, I think, I would say like cleaning the kitty litter is definitely a chore. I just don't think of it as a chore. I just think of it as shit. <laughs> right? But uh, I always thought that was so quaint, like, uh, that like kids, kids are supposed to have chores to do. Uh, I do feel like it's a white thing, too. My house didn't... My parents, they, they were never like, Jason, do your chores, you know? Uh, but I'm not sure about that. Maybe it's not a white thing. I don't know who invented this, <laughs> this concept of chores to do. And will I make my daughter do chores? Is she too young at 10 months old <laughs> to clean the kitty litter? Yeah. She can almost walk. I feel like she's very close to cleaning the kitty litter. Okay, we are on to our next poet who is patiently waiting in the wings. Give it up for Michael Cohen. Good evening, everyone. Um, I don't really have words about how great it is to be here tonight. I was, uh, I've been coming regularly in the last month and a half. I've been homebound and with a really lousy back. Um, so uh, to be able to be here in person is great. And I just wanted to say something, I guess I haven't talked to you about this, but I would, I would commit to a fundraising campaign to get a chair lift on the, seriously, it wouldn't be that much to, because, um, yeah. And I would, I would, I would contribute and, and really do it. It's, uh, this is a really special place. Um, Swirl over and again is the poem. It's in three parts, and it has three possible endings: uh, readers or listeners' choice. So I'll read the poem. Then there's three endings. You could choose which one. Swirl over and again. <clears throat> Excuse me. Part one: uh, place the dreams in the blue bowl. The ceramic one with, with the thin crack from lip to base. These are the disturbing letters, more real than 
life awake that you startle from, wet with sweat, whispering, thank God that was a dream. A swirl of past torturers, entrapments, impending death, and the banal anxieties of missed appointments and forgotten lines. Somehow living in my childhood apartment, my mother's still alive, and the friend who vanished returns to taunt me over and again. It takes half the day to re-enter the daily swirl of the waking world, and then the inevitable approaching midnight, and the fear of sleep over and again. Part two. At the end of a terrible working day, next to me on a downtown subway heading home, a young man with a face Michelangelo imagined, and glowing like the dark galaxy above the night, is drawing with colored artist pencils, a swirl of images as beautiful as your eyes 40 years ago. His hair is in one long braid behind, with three delicate silver bands holding it in place and a parrot feather at the end. Noticing my side glance staring, he kindly gestures permission to look. And in his sketch pad, I see you and who I've become, and I swirl with nausea. I remember in youth how, little, how, how cares were different. Can we go back? The books say no, but this young man's face, our David, provides a map to a future that swirls around the past and slows down the train just enough so that I see my younger self in the subway of an ancient subway car heading north. With pen and with, uh, heading uptown, sorry, with pen and notebook, and little thought to tomorrow's pains. Startled and confused, I wave gently. He sees me and nods, a small knowing book, a look, something like a smile, because as you know, I don't know how to smile. Part three, over and again, Otello, mind poisoned, murders Desdemona. And across time and place in a swirl of pointed guns, triggers are pulled and wars erupt. And yes, we kill the ones we love and hate. And this, this is the way the world ends, not with a whimper, but a bang. Over it again, we've been left and we leave, and the world still swirls and turns. And in my dreams, however cruel, filled with need, desire, lust, grasping, holding, taking care, soothing wounds and sharing prayer, I feel your kiss, ending one. It gives me life, awake its death. Ending two, please cherish the stillness and take a deep breath. We die when we're born and we're born again with our death. Ending three, haunted by all the people who've left, we're blessed by the ones who have stayed. Our recklessness wrecked so much in the wake and our carefulness made what's been made. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Michael. And thank you again, table number three. Uh, are you taking off, Ramya? I'm just going to say we're all going to give you a nice round of applause as you leave. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to leave yet, but if you're leaving, just leave, and then we'll, let's, we'll just clap as you walk out the door. 
Give Rami Romana one more round of applause. She has to take off. Thank you for a great workshop and a great featured set that we almost missed. <laughs> uh, is Mike Vicentes here? I didn't, I didn't think so. On deck is Megan Gwilt. Our next reader is Ashley Frankel. Give it up for Ashley. Is this volume okay? I don't, I'm like used to teaching, so microphones and me don't get along, but um, we'll make do for today. So my name's Ashley, and it's kind of like a basic name, but I had to come to terms with it. Um, you know, and I found out that it used to be a boy's name, which I think is really fun, culturally. And it also is related to the ash tree, which is also called Fraxinus, um, and that's the name of this poem. Growing up, I worried that my tits would never get so big. Big enough. Enough for who, I cannot say. Have you ever pulled your hair back and looked in the foggy post-shower mirror thinking, huh, I look like a boy, whatever that means? I remember hearing after the fact, a memory of a memory, that in my ultrasound, my father could swear I was a boy. I had his legs. Turns out I don't. All the old ladies from the neighborhood told my mother the same because she was carrying just so. And yet when I came into this world, I was marked my mother's daughter. And I am still my mother's daughter, but I am also so much more. Do not call me ma'am and do not call me man. If you must call me anything, call me Fraxinus. Call me being of a thousand emanations. Call me love. Wrapped in rasped laughter, knowing eyes, careful mudras. My presence is an incantation that in its multiplicity unfolds the seed of myself, a caterpillar in metamorphosis, fluid self-digestion on the soles of my hands and feet. And the things that I think I know are just things that other people think they know. And the person who I am is also the person who I am becoming, though not the person foretold in the memories of my makers. I am a sculptor of my own design. And whether clay or wood or bone or feeling, I can spin the immaterial into words that convey the myth of my origins. Not a hero's journey, but a long and meandering walk along forked paths lined with towering milkweed. The cells of my flesh flit into monarchdom, a pollinator's wet dream. And I am reminded that all things turn to ash, that with incineration comes possibility. What a blessing it is to know uncertainty. Okay, great poem, Ashley. I love that last line. A lot of good last lines tonight. Uh, as usual at the Yop, our next poet, there's a great cloud sweater on. I think they're clouds. We talked about it earlier. Give it up for Megan Gwilt. Hello. Um, March is Women's History Month, so shout out to all the women out there. Thank you, Jason. Um, I'll be reading a poem about my favorite woman. Um, it is called Our Mother Who Art in Heaven. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
created light and darkness, the day and the night. God created man and woman out of mud or dust, breathing life into each. What is God if not a creator? Knitting together limbs from nothing, giving life to something wholly new. You are the one who gave life to me. You are not the God from the Bible, wrathful and confusing, but you do take after him. The loving, passionate, all-knowing side. A joy everlasting with a laugh that shakes mountains. A God who hands down rules knowing each subject will break them in turn. You ask us to love, to trust, to believe, and you hurt when we are unable. However, you do not damn me to hell each time I disappoint you. You choose to love me anyway, and you do not have to sacrifice my brother to forgive me. You are better than God is, more than a person in the clouds. You grew me, the miracle of life. You raised me, the miracle of teenage girls. You watched as my milk turned to water and later to wine, taught me to walk on the water in the pool in our backyard, taught me to face the storms without fear. You are the one who healed my ailments. From skin knees to broken hearts, you spoke, kissed, and mended what I thought would always ache, the miracle of a mother's hand. You taught me to work through every bump and break. Is that not what a god should do? To love, to heal, and then to teach a god without fear that when we eat the fruit and open our eyes, we will no longer love him. Instead, rejoicing in the success of those you're tasked to lead, those you choose to love. You are the divine feminine, closer to Artemis and Aphrodite with their mystery and their moonlight you take after Mary. Do not demand praise in the way the others do. It's a quiet grace, a gentle understanding that you brought me into this world and sure as hell can take me out again, but you never will. Because you, mother, creator, are forgiveness, are the fabric of stained glass windows turning sunlight into rainbows. Life giver, world builder, great healer, you are the one whose approval I seek. I know who you are. When I am promoted from daughter to goddess, I can only dream of growing into my role as imperfectly as you did. But for now, there is learning to do. And I have church to attend Wednesday nights when I call after class, and I know you will answer. Or at least call me back. Amen. All right, thank you, Megan. Uh, when I am promoted from daughter to goddess, uh, that's a good promotion, I would say. What a, what a great line that was. On uh, deck is Sarah Lynn Rogers. Our next poet is Carly Ransford. Give it up for Carly. Last night I visited hetero stomping grounds in Manhattan, a part of the city I try to avoid where everyone dresses the same and not it's all thrifted, but in it's all from ASOS way. Black crop tops pollute my purview. The least, um, at least one white girl will spill her drink on me. At least one straight man will try to eye fuck me. Yeah, that kind of fun house where the music is pitbull, but my friends and I go sometimes anyways because you want to shake ass for free. So we, <laughs> so we downed frozen margaritas and stood our ground with the bouncers, excited to make a ruckus for just being ourselves. I can't hide in plain sight, but I've gotten really good at keeping my eyes down. Two Taylor and two Kesha songs later, I headed to the bar for a plastic cup of water, where lo and behold, a bi-curious Miami princess started flirting with me. <laughs> 
I engaged by accident. <laughs> Nothing about her drew me to her, but she gave me eyes, and I'm a sucker for a social experiment. I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Who am I to judge a Barbie doll by her skinny jeans? She asked me if I lived in the city. I said, yes, Brooklyn. It's lit there. So lit. <laughs> I rambled about how the people there are awesome, in my experience at least, and I was feeling proud to be a queer guest star in her world. I asked her, and she said she played D1 tennis at Pace. I confessed I didn't know shit about tennis and tried to joke about by asking what position she played, but she certainly <laughs> she certainly didn't find me funny. Her eyes darted for a friend. I finished my water in one clunky glump. My friends were the only sparkles in the crowd. I was about to say, it was nice to meet you when she scanned me. Doc Martens to single button, buttoned up, baggy jeans to clipper cut, tattoos and piercings. I swear she snared her lip a little. You know, you're so confusing, she said. Um, excuse me? I could feel the social experiment running off the tracks. I really should start wearing helmets to the club more often. What kind of repressed fucking pocket are you pulling from? We've exchanged less words than freckles are on your pointed little nose. But she looked at me like I was eating pickles on ice cream and continued to bulldoze. You look so masculine, but your voice is so feminine, she said. It's confusing. Like, I'm so confused by you. She kept just saying, I'm confused by you. In a two-week seconds, the non-binary self-esteem I have been cultivating for years felt more like wet plastic bag than silver-plated armor. I felt my stomach slime. The word confusing should be liberating. I love being seen as gray, but this wasn't being seen. This was uh, not being seen. I lost it. Oh, this was being questioned. The humorous internal dialogue I had been drumming up in my head about a silly little run-in with a bi-curious Barbie doll helplessly melted into a shattering montage of my childhood, bowl-cut Legos and the mean volleyball girls. I was nothing again, so I buttoned up my shirt and deflated. If she had said it to my friend or if these exact words had already been said to me, I would have fucked it right off. I imagine saying, huh, that's probably because I have tits and a vagina, you ignorant clown, but <laughs> I only, only 30 seconds until there would be tears. And then she would become extra confused that this androgynous being in front of her could be mask femme and human all at the same time. I could sense the Leo moon in me throbbing. I'm, <laughs> I'm tall, muscular, short-haired, and hella fucking emotionally dainty. She was spiteful, <laughs> like I was out here trying to trick her or something. This isn't Brooklyn anymore. It's usually never Brooklyn. I should know because I'm a transplant. So I slugged back to my friends. They met me with, mmm, eyebrows. <laughs> but I threw up the middle fingers to the tennis player lurking. Now nah, she's an asshole. I tried to deflect by moving my body, but my body wasn't visible here. I couldn't stop dark thoughts about the world at large, and I started to cry. My friend who loves me and sees me as dainty, when I stopped having the loudest laugh in the room, grabbed my hand and said, do you want to go to the bathroom? Come on, let's go to the bathroom. I couldn't speak, but she embraced me and let me be human. I could punch her, she said. Watch out, I said. She's a D1 athlete with acrylics. <laughs> Which made her laugh because, of course, what I said made no sense to her. And anyone who knows me knows that making no sense is actually one of the most lovable things about me. So confused and crying, we held each other, and I found home. Damn, damn good. Are you sitting at the table in the back or are you on the floor? 
You guys are gonna need a t-shirt, I think. <laughs> Kicked ass. Uh, wow, what a story. I mean, just inside that story. And uh, I gotta say, you're really funny. I don't know if you're funny like that in real life, but uh, there was like a thousand things in that poem. I just had me. I was dying. Also, you have like a peanut shirt on, which is great. Yeah, good job. And fuck that tennis player. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> oh, man, tennis. What a thing. I, I played tennis growing up. <laughs> what position do you play? <laughs> Asshole is the position. Our next reader is Sarah Lynn Rogers. Give it up for Sarah. reached out to me through my website <laughs> to commission a poem from me for an upcoming exhibition. Um, and all the art is like drawings and sculptures that exist at the intersection of childlike and grotesque, which is like my jam for some reason. So this is the poem I wrote for them. <laughs> it's called, You Are Instructed Not to Ask What It Is. <laughs> you are instructed not to ask what it is. You might say, tell me about this. That would be allowed. And there are clues. What's biggest in the frame? How many fingers? For some reason, the sky won't touch the ground. That's fine. No need to worry over details like that. Worry over your own self, skin and hair, this mass that won't conform or be obscured. Have your edges ever felt so distended? In childhood, you were, like any of us, geometric, book of unlined paper, no marks. Adults were their experience like scotch tape dragged across the carpet. They picked up lint and flecks, mysterious bumps, things you felt you oughtn't be able to see, experienced equated with obscene, how a folded page can never be not folded how the mouth's assembly line uproots the teeth you can't repot. You can't go back, but you must go. Some days you feel like a raw hunk of meat set with wire and electrified. Some unseen hand pushes a button, makes you twitch. Some days a piano squashes you cartoon flat. You spit keys, cannot blow out your candles. Some days are deep sea dives, gathering specimens to understand. To understand what? The answer. In your mind, you build construction sites. You drive one of the frightening machines. Here, you can lift impossible weights, break down and discard. Nothing too much. Back to skin, this looped image, lip curl of yuck, ugly sneer a face for lint, loosed teeth, and errant pube. Why would somebody so often hand you this, this wordless alphabet of disgust, with a child's pride as though passing a craft into your hands? I made this, I made it for you. Thank you. Okay, nicely done. Well, I think they're going to like the poem they commissioned. 
Oh, they've already gotten it. <laughs> okay, well, good for them. Uh, wow, what a rare thing to be commissioned for a poem through a website. Um, how many of you have websites? Yeah, it's less than. People don't make websites anymore. It used to be a thing. It's like, oh, do you have a website? <laughs> it was like 10 years ago. I was like, oh, I got to have a website. And then like you make a website, like nothing happens. <laughs> but every now and then, somebody in Zurich reaches out to you to commission a poem. On deck is Inciatage. Our next poet is probably the last poet left at table three. Give it up for Arthur Russell. Thank you, Jason. I was going to thank Ramya, but she's gone. Thank you, Ramya. That was a great workshop. And I brought this up here. This is Poetry Magazine. came out yesterday or today. And I brought it because Jay Despande has two poems in Poetry Magazine. He was the teacher of the mentorship program, still is. He's a fantastic poet. You know, just to put it in context, Ada Limon had her first poem published in Poetry Magazine this well, last year, after 20 years of trying. And Jay's in there now. There's a poem called Jenner, California. I highly recommend it. And um, yeah, so there's that. It's great to see you all tonight. And table three, I represent. My name is Arthur. And um, I wanted to do this poem. You know, for a long time, I haven't been able to remember my dreams. But then somewhere along the way, I've, I realized that there are these things that happen while I'm falling asleep that are very interesting, these things I see and feel. Someone said, oh, that's hypnagogia. And I said, yeah, that's not going to be the name of this poem. And, <laughs> And yet, it is. <laughs> so um, this is a short poem. Maybe if I have time, I timed it, it's a minute and a half. I might read it twice, but I don't know. <laughs> I dreamed, or on my way to dreams, I saw a blue carnation with a gold outline on every petal, slowly closing in, and begged it to explain itself to me. Or if it would not, simply to hold still and let me look at it a while in peace. The blue itself, part yonder, part marine, impossible to place immediately, perhaps the ceiling of a southern porch, touched on a memory of perfume glass, the tourmalin reminder of a sunset, a lingerie drawer, opened as a child. And then, like dishes rimmed in leaf, the gold, with scuffed irregularities from where, asked questions of its own, for which I had no answers, just hypotheses of loss, like palimpsestic billboards on brick walls, or shameful silence at the dinner table. But flower dreams speak rarely, if at all. And this one, like a boxcar in a switchyard, bore down on me with due deliberate speed, disintegrating as it dove below the bridge above the tunnel of my eyes to grant me comfort as I rode to sleep. Want to hear it again? <laughs> 
Okay, thank you, Arthur. Hypnagogia. Bye. <laughs> Make everyone look at you as you're leaving. <laughs> wow, it's not bad, huh? Yeah, bye. Bye. <laughs> yeah, they're all leaving after Arthur's smile. <laughs> our next of the evening, our last poet off the reserve list. We got time for a couple people off the wait list. Incia Taj, give it up for Incia. Hi, everyone. I want to thank uh, Cindy Tran for her tender treatment of this poem. Shout out to Cindy. I dream of my mother dancing in a nightclub. I watch her spin, dizzy from youth, black-haired Demeter, lost in a mass of tentacled limbs and bone-white strobe flash. Her grin, shiny, greedier than the one I'm used to. Her mouth, foreign and glossed red as pomegranate. Here, in a different god's wilderness, a woman whose face I've stolen doesn't recognize me. Sweat glimmers on her brow, snaking a wet trail down her long neck. I study my mother the way a cartographer interprets maps hungry to discover something new. In another life, she is the first marvel I fawn over, a magician brewing Kashmiri chai pink, a practice spectacle to elicit a doubtful child's delight. In another life, her hands tenderly and slowly fry eggs. When impatience makes home in my teeth, lodged between the cracks like sour candy, she says it's a lesson in waiting. In another life, I steal her pearl earrings, wear them brazenly on Eve, the smug arrogance of a teenage thief. The gold clasp a python's grip upon my earlobe. She pretends they aren't missing, and when my ears bleed after unfastening them, she silently rubs Vaseline onto the cut skin. Here, in this sea of sweaty mist connections, my mother tips her head back in laughter and parades through the crowd an iridescent koi floating in a winding river. Salt clings to her body like a newborn. Effortlessly, I follow her. The only pilgrimage I've ever completed is to the house where my mother sleeps. She enters a dirty bathroom and stares at the mirror, foggy with the desires of strangers, the dusty dreams of adolescence. Threading a paper towel delicately between her slim fingers, she wipes the muddied glass clean and smiles at me. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Incia. Another beautiful poem. We all remember your last time here. Uh, we got two poets off the waitlist. Everyone on the waitlist only wrote down their first name. It's an interesting thing that's never happened before. Just thought you'd all appreciate it. <laughs> They're all well known enough. <laughs> only the first name. Uh, our next poet is Akiva. Is that right? Give it up for Akiva. Uh, I've never been here before, or I've never done this before, but I wrote, uh, but I started this poem uh, at Yop a couple months ago, um, so I wanted to read it here. Uh, 
As Hillary Clinton went for long walks in the Chappaqua woods, a torrent of letters came to her door unbidden, the dripping of new wounds desperate to clot. The whole world knows about her emails, but me, I used to read her mail. These thousands of letters deserve a response, she decided. Oh, I love her for that. What suckers can we trust to do all this work for free, I expect, she asked. Who will open and categorize and give order to this flood of mail? We'll Google when the names are only semi-legible. We'll put aside the letters that make them cry in a plastic bin labeled special. So a call went out to us broken campaign staffers trying to stitch ourselves back together. We had who had worked those seven-day all-consuming weeks. We who had been sent out to Ohio or Nevada. Who had stayed in the city and found ourselves at the Javits Center on November 8th thinking we were going to a celebration and not a funeral. Here's what I did for you, the letter said. Here's what you mean to me, what she meant to them, these people, almost all of whom, like me, had never met her. I read the scrawls of children, and I read about a sexual assault. I read short cards and long, vulnerable pages of hope and pain whose captured feelings would mix with mine. And somehow, with each honest word, I grew lighter, as if our griefs were a chemical reaction, two toxins joining to a harmless compound. And I thanked them, these grasping souls who unwittingly poured their stories out to me. I thanked them the only way I could, by typing their names and address into the master spreadsheet and making sure I got them right. I'm not healed, but I'm mostly done healing. You have to really look to see the scars. But this is a thing I do now, take in these stories, whether I like it or not. We're at a job interview. We're at a party. We're on a date. And I'm telling you about myself and about what I've done in my life. And I say the campaign was a, it was a great experience. Best job I ever had, well, until the end. And then, inevitably, you start to tell me your election day story. And I tell you we don't have to talk about it. <laughs> OK, thank you, Akiva. Another great ending, very surprising. Uh, <laughs> I really like that turn. Our last part of the evening is the one and only Charlie. Give it up for Charlie. Sorry to forget to write my last name. Uh, my name is uh, Charles Stevens. Uh, I commute in from New Jersey, ew. Um, and uh, this is my second time here and my first time reading. Um, oh, I guess second time. I read earlier today. <laughs> but um, this poem is called 6.32 AM House Blend. The view from the kitchen counter made the world seem small. Many corners of my corneas caulked with coffee grinds, a newspaper read with strained eyes. Tiny serif print written without hand of glory, nor spendthrift without meaning. Words not meant to be understood are spread as ashes and editorials, powdering the vibrato of a broadcast hymn of rapture. It's morning here in suburbia again, and I just don't know who to believe. Waking up, chasing sunrise, fumbling dreams in a book by the nightstand, or was it the stove? <laughs> Between lines of Freud or Socrates or some half-baked erotica, <laughs> a men's magazine I snuck into my childhood closet so many years ago, shifted the contents of a dusty cupboard, reading a headline of yesterday's subconscious with lorn and sleepy eyes. Setting the toaster, squeezing a lemon, it's all pastiche to a piano I haven't touched in a few years, and pillowy toast I fell asleep in. Switching the TV, flippant flipping of the channels, mixed in a sour sunbeam. Two wide paper cuts, 
Morning headlines cake the counter. Morning the headlines. Worn as the Telecaster, cooked in Solomon soot. Choking back tears in American general dialect, he said, there will be no tomorrow. And I stared at him, staring far past me, and thought, the cake I bought on sale tasted better because it was cheap. Popping bubbles from the morning air on sunlight-striped eyes, shifting the dust into dance as slow hands lift the blinds over the sink. Setting an alarm for noon, I think, is noon a.m. or p.m. To indulge a tomorrow gone pastiche before tea time and the meridian. Twinge of citrus left from worn and wet fingers on the strings of a radio guitar and my chest. A cup that was made last weekend luffs the divot strings to kiss a fogged, leaky homage. Cheers to you as we kissed in the foyer. You were so embarrassed I couldn't help but laugh. Lyrics that drain the tap of amber light, words of wisdom that leave no trace on the heart. Today again, a forgotten guitar I still can't really play feels like a memory. Soft tea and bitter nectar, loose hands and looser networks, anise, maybe honey, cardamom, I think I should text mom. Strained eyes glaze the morning paper of a spring sun shower forecast for a morning of no tomorrow. Towards the bottom of the spread near the crossword on the front page, there's a recipe a woman wrote living only in that footnote and in paintings by the downstairs dryer. It's a recipe for sun shower. A half cup of warm crushed leaves from the garden and tart berries, any kind of your choice. Newfound sprig, dust from blinds, the daybreak song of canary. Mix in the telecaster's cries with a soft voice. Notes, as she wrote. For a world pestled in cupboards, wake the kitchen for a last supper tea time. The view from the kitchen counter made the world seem small, sipped on a house blend concocted at around 6.33 a.m. Though it dilutes and dies softly in a quickling, quickening rain, may tomorrow, if it come, please be sunny. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Charlie. Uh, that is it. That is our open mic list. Um, yeah, you can applaud if you want. Why not? Uh, if any of you who read for the open mic uh, did not buy a ticket uh, in advance, and uh, we don't have your email. I don't know if you got their emails, Megan, but uh, should give your email to Megan in case you end up winning Poem of the Month. And if you want to give... Your last name, too. <laughs> if you only give us your first name, you can also come up and do that. But to go back over the list, and I'll tell you the number again to vote for Poem of the Month, 718-374-1953. This lectern has gotten very wobbly. Uh, we just heard from Charlie, and uh, before Charlie was Akiva, Inciatage, Arthur Russell, Sarah Lynn Rogers, Carly Ransford, Megan Gwilt, Ashley Frankel, Michael Cohen, Mark Weissman, Hunter Hodkinson, Jim Stewart, Ann Herondine, Sky Jackson, Bo Frail, Elia Osmanova, Hendry Millward, Serena Oduro, and Alexis Dips. 
Again, the number to vote for Poem of the Month, 718-374-1953. If you don't know what happens with Poem of the Month, the winner wins a tote bag. By the way, if you've won Poem of the Month over the last year and haven't claimed your tote bag, you should do that. We sold a bunch at AWP, but uh, they're bringing more back tomorrow. Yeah, that's right. You should claim your tote bag, Kira. I think we've got one black one there, at least. <laughs> but we have more. We'll bring them back tomorrow. Uh, and the 12 winners of Poem of the Month over the course of the year face off in our Poem of the Year contest in December. So that is something to look forward to. A couple of announcements about events coming up. First of all, the next YAWP, it's always on the second Monday of the month. That will be on April 10th. Uh, tickets for that should be going on sale at 9.30 if uh, Renee Kay has done their job, which I'm sure they have. Uh, and that will be led by Isabella Descendi. Some of you may remember Isabella. Yeah, let's give her a round of applause just because she's great. Um, she taught a drop-in class on Saturdays on Rage. That was awesome the last eight weeks and uh, also featured at her first Friday in Open last fall. So fantastic poet, really cool person. Again, April 10th, our next YAP tickets going on sale. They should be at 9.30 tonight. If you wanted to read and didn't read, you should know the Yop Open Mic advance list fills up very quickly. That We only set aside 10 tickets to reserve a spot. Uh, those are usually gone by the, the Tuesday after they go on sale, so I wouldn't wait around. Uh, but of course, you can still sign up at the door. There's still 10 spots that are left, and then we go on to the wait list. Uh, but if you can't get on that list, the Friday Night Open is another open mic, our second monthly open mic. That is happening on Friday, March 24th. So not this Friday, but the following Friday. That's an open mic in which you can read for up to four minutes, and you can read more than one poem. So if you don't want to just read one poem of three minutes, you should check out the Friday Night Open. It's a very cool event. A little different vibe, but uh, it's got its own vibe. And that culminates in readings by two featured poets, and the next featured poets on March 24th are Yumiko Gonzalez-Rios, whom you may remember as the winner of the Yacht Poem of the Year contest last year, Arthur remembers, and uh, my boy Chiwon Choi is coming in from Pittsburgh, one of the few Korean-American men <laughs> who have published a book of poetry in the history of the United States. If you follow me on Instagram, you saw my post about that last night. There are 10, and... He's exactly 10% of that demographic. I am another 10%. You will see 20% of the Korean-American men who have published a book of poetry on Friday, March 24th. He's an awesome poet. Uh, and last announcement. Some of you already have tickets for this. This Sunday, March 19th, Eugenia Lee's book launch. Book launch another Korean-American poet. Not a guy, but still awesome. <laughs> you can obviously still be awesome if you're not a guy. Uh, Eugenia is awesome. When I think one of my favorite things about this AWP is like I hung out with Eugenia a lot. It seemed like every night we were closing out the bar together and just, and just talking. So that was that was the first time we'd hung out that much. Um, but Bianca is her second book. It's an amazing book. I haven't even read it yet, and I know it's amazing because I've heard her read so many poems. Uh, and you all were here. If you were here for that February op, you know how good she is. Um, Tickets for that, advanced tickets are gone, but as you know with the YAWP, you can still get tickets at the door. There's always like 15 to 20 people that don't show up for whatever reason, and I think that would especially be true for a free event <laughs> because uh, Eugenia rented it out and made it free. So uh, I think the chances are good, but she is popular, so uh, if you want to get a ticket at the door, I would show up early. Uh, I think the event itself starts at 7, but the doors open at 6, okay? 
that is all. Thanks for coming. Again, 718-374-1953, the number to vote for Poem of the Month. We will see you on April 10th with Isabella Descendi. Take care. All right, there you have it. The Broken Poets Yop Open Mic for March 13th, 2023, featuring the brilliant Rami Romana leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic, even though I did my stupid best to completely forget about her feature and go right to the open mic. I'm sorry about that, Ramya. But thanks to Arthur Russell and Table 3, we did remember and get Ramya up there. Uh, Ramya's fantastic. Uh, and incidentally, if you're interested, listening to this podcast is leading a new drop-in class for us on Saturday afternoons at 4 p.m. called Healing Hands. So I suggest you check that out on BrooklynPoets.org, uh, <laughs> our website. Look under workshops, look under drop-in classes, and you'll find Ramia's uh, called Healing Hands. Congrats to Sky Jackson, the update viewer, for winning Poem of the Month for her uh, amazing and hilarious poem When the White Girl in the Bathroom at Hadestown asks if I'm cosplaying as Persephone. I mean, the title alone is fucking brilliant. Uh, Sky has won a Brooklyn Poets tote bag and a spot in our 2023 Yaw Poem of the Year contest. Uh, it'd be fun to go back and do a little data breakdown of all of the Yawp debuters who have ever won the Yacht Home of the Month Award, I would say it's probably the majority, which is a pretty cool thing. Um, I don't know if it's like the energy of reading at the Yacht for the first time and the embrace of the audience or both of those things, or maybe just pure chance. And these poets, uh, maybe they bring their best poem the first time they come, but uh, I love that so many debuters win Poem of the Month. Our next Yop will come your way on the second Monday of the month, as usual, on Monday, April 10th, and this will be led by the fucking awesome Isabella Descendi. Uh, if you came to our first Friday night open last fall, I'm sure you remember Isabella's reading uh, from primarily her chapbook, Through the New Body, one of my favorite books, and uh, she's been working on some new poems that are fire. In fact, she is the poet of the week at BrokenPoets.org this week with a brand new poem that we were proud and excited to publish. So come out for that in two weeks. Uh, if you're listening to this, the last week of March, it would be two weeks from now. Uh, there are still tickets available, uh, but FYI, the Yop usually sells out, so I would not wait until the last minute to get tickets advanced. Tickets for reserved open mic spots are gone, as they usually are within 24 hours after the previous shop, but there are still plenty of tickets available to come to the workshop and possibly participate in the open mic if you are so inclined. Okay, uh, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope, if you haven't done so already, that you rate us five stars and subscribe to us on iTunes. That helps other listeners find these amazing poets every month. Uh, and that's all I got. Thanks again for listening. I'm Jason Koo, and uh, we'll catch you next time.